Well, praise the Lord. Well, get your Bibles out and just throw them open. Because I don't know where I'm going to end up here in just a minute, but. I'm going to, uh, I've been talking these last couple of weeks about thoughts. And uh, Wednesday nights have been the same. I've been carrying on that. And so anyway, the Holy Ghost led me down a path. And uh, I want to share it with you. And so I'm going to have to give you just some information up front before I get into preaching the Word. Is that okay? I'm not preaching on the Reader's Digest or anything. I'll get into the Word. I'll tie this all in the Word. But I've got to give you some facts. So how many of you have ever been, somebody's ever told you you're crazy? I mean, it happens all the time, right? Somebody say, you're crazy. You know, you have some kind of thought or idea or whatever. Okay, so... The title of this message is titled Conjecture. I'll explain all that in a minute, but that's the title of the message. Your human brain, okay? Now I'm giving you factual, scientific evidence here. The human brain contains approximately 100 billion, 100 billion neurons. It's almost about the same number as the stars in the Milky Way galaxy. So if you go out on a night and you look up at the stars and you see the Milky Way stretching across and all the stars in there, there's that many, as many as you can see in this, this, the stars, neurons firing off in your brain. Okay? Now, the, the neurons, they... They don't all travel at the same speed, but the top speed's about 250 miles an hour flying through your head. Now, what neurons do in a layman term here is neurons are firing off. They're causing everything in your body to work. They're causing you to breathe, causing you to react, causing you to talk, causing your bodies to function right, causing the thoughts, your memories. Also, this is what's flying around in your head at 250 miles an hour. Whoa! Right? You're just sitting there saying, oh, I just need to rest. And your brain's just, whoa, whoa. But the crazy thing is all of that, that mass that I'm talking about, as many as the Milky Way's up in there, the hundred, the billion the 100 billion, right? Yes, 100 billion neurons, all of that flying around, that, that really only makes up 10% of your brain. I mean, it kind of think you look at the Milky Way, right? It took the whole sky to get it in there. And all of this crammed in your head, flying around 250 miles an hour. Okay, your brain is a random thought generator. In 2005, there was a study done. It says the average person has about 12,000 to 60,000 thoughts per day. Now, listen to this. Listen to this. Of those, 95% are exactly the same repetitive thought as the day before. Husbands, have you ever thought your wife forgot something and, that you did and she didn't? No. <laughs> You know, they always remember. Hello? 95% of the thoughts that you're having are the same repetitive thoughts that you had. So that means you only had 5% new thoughts. Now, get this. Listen, this is just, 
I got this out of Scientific Magazine. I, this is not, it doesn't have a Christian side to it or not. It's, you know, it just is what it is. And 80% of those thoughts are negative. Okay, so think about this. God didn't create you to be like that. God did not create your brain to be full of 95% repetitive thoughts, and those thoughts are 80% negative. When Adam and Eve were in the garden, and the presence of God was there, and they're doing whatever they do in the garden, right? And, and, and they're not thinking about, gosh, sure do look like things are going rough. I don't know if we're going to be able to retire by the time we're 60. They didn't have a thought about drought, worms, useful fools. They didn't have a thought about, oh, war, famine, pestilence. They didn't have these thoughts. They're just in the garden. God comes in the river evening. God. I'm talking God, the creator of the heaven and earth and all they're in, comes walking there evening, has to talk with them, has a conversation. They weren't worried about anything. They weren't fretting. They weren't full of anxiety. They weren't, you know, saying, oh, gosh, what's going to happen? They weren't dealing with sickness until Slewfoot came in there, right? Slithered in, got him off. And as soon as he did his business and got him off, immediately what happens? Their sons are killing each other. They're cast out of the garden. The angel's keeping them out of there. The fall of man starts to take place until the days of Noah, everybody is just kaput, right? Because why? Their random thought generator went from just walking along in the blessings of God and the good things of God, thinking on good things, till they were bombarded with thoughts of, look at this mess. And today they're saying that 80% of your thoughts are negative. Okay, now don't raise your hand and please do not look down because I will know I nailed you. So just keep looking eyes forward. Don't say anything. Just don't, don't, don't look funny. <laughs> okay. How many of y'all just now, just now during praise and worship, just now during praise and worship, oh God, you're wonderful, you're great, just had a random thought that had nothing to do with church. Some snickering going on. <laughs> oh, God, I love you. I worship you. Oh, man, I wonder what I'm going to do tomorrow. Random thought generator flying through your head. Or you're worshiping God. You're, 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 you're over here, you know, during praise and worship, and you're just worshiping God. Oh, God, I love this song. This is the greatest song. Oh, Lord, there's no one like you. There's no one like you. I can't believe that they said that. I know, but I just I, you go off. Hello? You're reading your Bible. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Want. Yeah, want. You do want. There is want. Because your brain is set up with this ability and these neurons flying off for 250 miles an hour flipping through your head. And then all of a sudden, man, they catch up on a thought, a negative thought, shoo, goes in there. And then all of a sudden you're thinking negative. Then before long, you're holding your Bible. We're just talking to the Almighty God in the courts of heaven. I thought of this example, and, and, and <clears throat> I was going to actually make a phone call, on, but I don't think I'll do it. 
You could actually, it's like calling, you're talking to God. Yeah, God. Oh, man. Yeah, uh-huh. thank you. I, I really appreciate you getting that done for me. That's, that's really good. And then all of a sudden, you're just like, and then a minute, oh, I was talking to God. Oh, yes, yeah, I'm back. I'm, I was over there. Yeah, I was gone. That's how you are. Can you imagine how annoying that would be if you were talking to a person? Literally. And we're doing that. You'd be saying, hello, are you there? Are you there? Hello? Hello? Can you hear me? How many of y'all have had those phone conversations with people when you're in bad service? Right? And you're all, hello, hello, hello. Can you imagine doing that to God? But that's what we're doing. You're in the middle of prayer. You're focused and, 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 and praying and talking to him. And then the next thing you know, you're thinking about, you know, whatever. That's not good. Okay? It says that your brain gets conditioned this way. It gets fixed this away. It gets in a rut this away. The neurons start firing this away. And if you just stay as a normal human being on this earth, you're going to have 95% of the same thoughts you had the day before, and 80% of them are going to be negative. Do you know one of the things that changes it? This is, this is to me fascinating. One of the things that changes your brain to neurons in the way that they begin to form new, new channels, the, e the easiest. You know what it is? To read out loud. Children, it says, first learn to read by speaking words out loud. Once that knowledge is established, then they learn to read themselves. It's indeed one of the strange facts about the brain because we usually teach our children to read and talk politely. But to promote brain development in your child, you should read and talk aloud in front of them. So literally, you're changing the neurons in your brain and the way and actually causing your brain to develop bigger by reading the scriptures out loud or taking the confessions or the, you know, right here. You're standing there and saying, no weapon that forms against me shall prosper. Every tongue that rises against you, you're saying it out loud. You're actually literally causing brain activity to take place. And by you hearing yourself speak or reading out loud, it literally changes the whole way that you think, and it starts changing your negative side to positive. I have a friend who, who loves these confessions and... Uh, scriptures and he gets them in every morning and gets in front of the mirror like I've said to do he's one of the only people I've ever heard that did what I said you should all be doing <laughs> and he gets in front of the mirror looks at himself and makes his confession his declarations every morning he says he's changed his life he won't leave the house without doing it because you see what we don't even realize we're just thinking oh they don't do any good I don't like to talk out loud. I don't like to hear myself. I don't, you know, but what you're doing is you're staying in the same rut. You're just going through the same rut, the same motion, same motion, same, same neurons flying off. Everything just starts doing the same. But we've got to make changes, folks. Now, I'm going to, here's the next one. All right. How many of you have ever got a stupid song hung in your head? Grandparents, you kept the grandkids and somebody had a little toy and that thing went off. And the next thing you know, you got it going through your head. And you finally get it out and you say, man, I couldn't get that song on my head. And they say, what? Oh, don't say it. Don't say it. Because then it'll start over again. 
drive you mad, right? It's called spontaneous cognition. Layman term, earworms. Seriously, that's what they said. Listen to this now. Listen to this state fact. Psychologists know that humans spend up to 40, 40% of our day engaged in spontaneous cognition. 40%. 40% is a stupid song in your head you can get rid of. But it's not just a stupid song. It's an old hurt. It's a wound. It's something somebody said. It's the way somebody looked. And you don't even realize that your neurons in your brain start firing off. And 40% of our day is engaged in this earworm digging in your head. Do you know that earworms are more prevalent when you're under stress or anxious or for people that are OCD? So this, this is what it says. I'm just reading it. They found out that songs that get stuck in your head, I don't even want to mention them. I have some down here. I don't even want to mention them because then they're going to get stuck in your head and you ain't going to be listening to me. You're going to be listening to that song. They found out that they had melodic contours to the song and they began to say that if a song went up, like up the scale, like, oh, I don't even want to do it. No, I don't want to do it. It goes up there, da 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 If it has that, those get stuck in your head easier. Your brain picks up on them, and those are the kind that go through. So even musicians have known that this is what will happen, and so they get songs, and they make sure that that is in their song because they think that, you know, they could be a number one hit because you get it stuck in your head, so then you're buying it and whatever. Okay? So that's what's taking place in your head. Neurons firing off, 80% negative thoughts, 40% of your day, you've got this reoccurring thing going on in your head. That's what's taking place, all because of the fall of mankind. All right? Now I want to give you a couple of definitions of some words, and then I'll get down to the message. The first word I want to give you is conjecture. You don't, maybe don't use conjecture a lot, but it's a word. Okay? According to the dictionary, it means formed without proof or sufficient evidence. Conjecture. You don't have sufficient proof for it, but you conjure this idea up. You make a conjecture. Are y'all with me? It's a conclusion deduced by summarize or guesswork. In other words, it's not facts. It's not real. It's deduced by guesswork. In math, in math, it's, it's a proposition before it has been proved or disproved. It's conjecture. Go with me? Okay, I want to give you another word. Another word is supposition. Supposition means something that is supposed or a hypothesis. I love this. I love how they write this. Like who puts this in the dictionary? Supposition means the act of supposing. I mean, I could have come up with that one. All right. Conjecture and supposition are not based upon facts. They're based upon guesswork 
and supposing. Are y'all with me? Now, back to the word conjecture. There's an obsolete usage. And when I read this, I just, man, I just, I just, it just, my, just launched off. An obsolete usage of the word conjecture. And it means the interpretations of omens. And when I saw that, I thought, ah. <laughs> the interpretation of omens. In other words, you're looking into the future, supposing what it will be. You're interpreting the signs, but you don't know. It's conjecture. It's supposition. And I declare today that the 80% of negative thoughts flying through people's minds are all based upon conjecture and supposition. They're not based upon facts and truth. How many of it? Let's just say, let's just look at this. How many of y'all have worried about something that never happened? I believe all of us have. At some point, you worried about something that never happened. You're driving your car down the road. You hear a squeak. You think, oh, my gosh, this and this and this has got to be wrong. That must be that. And you get over there and found out it was a limb underneath the car dragging. Right? But isn't it funny? We always go to the worst case scenario and conjure up from that omen. It's going to be something terrible. Now. The worst experiences that you've had in life, you probably will conjure more bad experiences, right? Because we're not living in the garden. We're not living in there. I mean, imagine in the garden, they couldn't even conjure up something because they didn't think anything but good. They're dealing with God every day, but not us. We're sitting around conjuring things all the time that are not even real. Thus, we're making ourselves more anxious, more stressed, and more sick. It's a proven fact that stress will make you sick. Okay? Now, I'm going to give you just a couple of points here. I still haven't really got into the message yet, so just bear with me. Okay? These are just a few points of how you can change your mind right off the bat real quick if you want to. Okay? The first one is, if you read, pray, and confess out loud, I just told you, it'll develop your brain. Okay? So if you get a practice of every morning, just reading Psalms 23 out loud. Just read Psalms 23 out loud. It'll change your brain waves. Acts 5.20, the, the angel told Paul, go stand and speak the words of this life in the temple. The words you're speaking are life. It's going to change things. You're going to change. If you would just do it. You say, well, I don't know. I don't feel like it. I'm too discouraged to go do it. Well, I mean, folks, listen to me. There's a time in life you've got to rise up. And you can't just let your brain dictate and conjure the omens that you see in the future to keep you down. If you want to make it, you're going to have to pick yourself up by the bootstraps and say, no, this is what the word of the Lord says. You're going to go have to go stand in front of the mirror and say it. You're going to have to. There's no way around it. The second thing is, is that you need to be aware of your thoughts. What are you thinking? 2 Corinthians 10, 5. 
It says, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. You need to be a thought thinking, what are you thinking? Listen, if 80% of your thoughts are negative, are you really, is that you? And if you are thinking that many negative thoughts, you should stop and say, wait a minute, <clears throat> this doesn't line up with God. So then this is, folks, this is what, I, this is what I, I'm so worried about. And I said worry, because as your pastor, I, I, I'm shepherding you. I, want, I love you. I want to see you all prosper. I'm not saying you're not prospering. I'm just saying I want to see you come to your fullest extent to, the, to, the, to be the, 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 the most awesome men and women on the face of the earth. I want to see the people out in the broadcast area and people that are listening to the radio and people that are hearing that. I want to see them be touched and impacted by the message of God to them, okay? But my hands get tied if, if we just sit around all day long thinking negatively and don't apply the word of God. It's like buying a set of barbells, but you never picked it up. So you wonder why you didn't get stronger. And so I bought the, another set of barbells for you. I took them to your house. I got your hands. I put it on the bar. I said, you got to. And you said, I don't want to. I'll never be strong. No, you won't unless you pick that thing up and use it. You'll never be proficient in the word of God and the things of God and the supernatural power of God. And I'm concerned that the world's going in such a, a turmoil and it's going to spiral downhill that the days ahead may be hard. And unless you're as sharp with your sword as you've ever been, it's going to be tough. But I want to see you like, Ninja warriors, like nobody wants to mess with you. Like, I mean, you jump out of the word of God. You just take your sword and chop it all up. Sit there, you want some more of me? Devil jumps out, raw, and you say, man, I'll serve you up as like sushi. Take the word sword of the Lord here. I'll cut you. And you say, well, that's not me. I can't do it. You can if you get your thinking straight. But you got to get your thinking straight. Okay. So you got you to be aware of your thoughts. The third thing is, is that you have to replace conjecture with truth. Okay? Let me tell you, let me, just, let me just show you how to do, let me just give you a little example. You know, Philippians 4, 8, 9, you know the scripture. Think on these things, things that are good and positive and a good report, okay? You, those are the things that's what you're supposed to think on. But let me just put it to you this way. If you, if you look at the internet and... It depends on which side of the fence you're on. But if you're on, let's say, on the, on the right side of the fence, you read it, and, and, they're, and they're telling you, this is what's happening. Oh, my gosh, this is taking place. This is done. They're doing this. This is happening. They've made this. Congress did this. Biden did this. CARES did this. They did that. Here we're going. We're going down the road. We're going to end up over here, you know, in a horrible place. So conjecture says, oh, my gosh, it's really right around. But I can give you an interpretation of some omens, all right? One day, these clouds in the sky are going to roll back. God's going to stick his head to there and say, boo. <laughs> I know that one day, Jesus, we're going to look up and we'll see him in the clouds. Y'all with me? You see, those are interpretations of omens I got right here from the word of God. That says Jesus is coming back that we win. I've read the end of the book. There is no fight. There is no war that we're going to lose. How can Jesus say to you? I'm with you. And he not be. If we're Christians born again, filled full of the spirit of God, 
How can we believe that he's not with us? Well, if he was with me, all these bad things wouldn't be happening. No, no, you got it wrong. We live in a fallen world and he's with you. And as you get your faith and your thinking going, then everything else, it doesn't make any difference if it's falling down around you or not. Because a thousand can fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, but that doesn't mean it's going to come nigh you. Look, folks, listen to me. Can you understand how horrible it would be to literally see a thousand people fall dead by you? To be in a battle and a thousand fall at your side and you're stepping over blood and guts and all the things going on from the battle? It's not pretty. Jesus never promised our life on this earth would be pretty. He promised us he would always be with us and he would never leave us nor forsake us. And in case a bullet did go through me and kill me before I hit the ground, I'm in heaven. We've got to have this mentality. We've got to have this understanding. Quit going around in life saying, well, it's not working out like I thought it should. And so therefore we think God's not with us. No, the devil just got you to conjure. He just got you over there in spontaneous cognition, going through the same rehearsal of this event in your brain. He just got your 80% negative thoughts were on the rise. You don't think that the devil doesn't understand every one of these facts that I just said? He's been around forever. He's watched us stupid humans forever. Are y'all with me? And he knows all I got to do. Oh, so, 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 so it's like this. A demon runs up, an imp runs up to the devil and says, well, I, I'm having a hard time getting old Joe to, 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 to do what I want him to do. And he said, well, go tell him this. And he'll do it because he'll fall into that trap. So he runs over there and whispers that in his ear. And then that earworm gets going. And that's all you're hearing. And you're just hearing God ain't working for you. And the next thing you know, oh, Joe, he's fallen off. We have to replace conjecture with truth. I say... Come what may, my future is bright. I'm speaking for myself here. I'm saying my future is bright. God's not going to leave me nor forsake me. He made me more than an overcomer. He made me more than a conqueror. I'm going to overcome and conquer whatever gets in my way. Oh, I get tired of it. You know, you get tired of it after a while, but it don't make no difference. I'm going to win. Why? Because he said that he's not going to leave me nor forsake me. He said he's always going to hold my hand. Either that's the truth or it's a lie. And if it's a lie, let's just go home. I don't want to play church. I could go fishing today. But I know it's true. So I worship him and I serve him. And I come to church to worship and honor him. I don't come to church for this job. Believe me, folks, this job don't pay enough. God bless them. Y'all are, y'all are good to us, but it don't pay enough for this. Go find something else to do. Just be a greeter at Walmart. Stand there. Hey, how you doing? Here's a sack. I mean, that's pretty simple. Right? You don't have to have too much to make that happen. Here you go. It's a little hot. Stand on the road with a sign that says stop. Turn slow. Stop. I mean, that person in that day, all they've got to do is worry about getting an airworm that they can't get rid of because that doesn't take a lot of thought process to do that job. 
it's hot, tiring, standing there on your feet all day long, not taking anything away from that, but it doesn't take a lot to flip the sign. Right? It's not brain surgery. The, ne the next thing is, and now I'm going to get to preaching. <clears throat> the next thing is, don't bring judgment on yourself. Hear what I'm saying? Don't bring judgment on yourself. You've got enough with the devil and everybody else in the world throwing stones at you. You might as well not get your whip out and start flagging yourself. Okay? So here we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. Oh, we're doing good. 1 Corinthians 4.1. It says, Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it's required of steward that one be found faithful. But listen to this. Listen to the Apostle Paul speak this. But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I know of nothing against myself. Yet I'm not justified by this. But he who judges me is the Lord. The Apostle Paul says, <laughs> he says, I, don't, I, I consider it a small thing to be judged by you. I don't even judge myself. And it, in, if I did judge myself, I wouldn't even count that as truth. He says, there's only one person going to judge me. And that person that's judging me is God. Can I say it this way? Paul's saying, I'm going to play by one set of rules. And the one set of rules I'm going to play by is what God said. I'm not going to play by the rules you set. Listen to me. In the world, in the religious world, I could preach the greatest message, fire shoot out of the end of my fingertips, heal people. I mean, glory cloud settles. But there'd still be somebody judging me because I didn't dress right or I didn't talk right, or I didn't act right, or I, you know, there's always going to be that judgment that somebody else is going to say, well, he should have looked like that. Who's the person that came up the day and said, okay, well, they all had to be in a black robe in order for it to look religious? Who said that? Who said that set of judgment and that set of rules? My point is, if you're going to let people judge you, then you're going to have a hard time ever having any peace because everybody has their own likes and dislikes. And so to judge you, you shouldn't have wore a shirt that had flowers on it, or you shouldn't have wore a dress that looked like that, or you should have, you know, there's just going to be judgment. Hello? So Paul says, look, I don't even, I don't, I only let one set of rules come into my life. Only one set. And that's what the Lord said. That's the only rules I'm going to judge myself by. I'm going to let God judge me and put those rules in my life. And that's it. And then he says, therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes. In other words, you can't say what the future is going to be like until Jesus gets here and we look backwards because you do not know what's coming down the road. Do you know that? Do you know that there is not a shortage of diamonds do y'all know this? There's not a shortage of diamonds. Diamonds are not like a rare earth metal that's very, that just barely ever found. It's that diamonds are controlled by the diamond mines and the people that control that, that only a certain amount get out. 
and they're in control of all of it. And so therefore they control the supply and the demand of it. So therefore it keeps the price up. But the, there is diamonds that you can just have laying around everywhere. Solomon, when he built the temple, he had so much gold and silver, he said it made it as, he made it as common. I'm putting this in our terms so we can understand it. He made it as common as caliche. That's what he says. It says it is built it up in piles, silver and gold. It was as common as going. Listen, nobody around here has got to worry about finding some caliche. Hello? Black dirt gets to be precious. Right? He said that's what Solomon did. He brought in so much that he made it so abundant that it became of no value. Diamonds, if they just mined and let everybody mine it, mind it, they'd have so many of them, diamonds would be worth nothing because it's an abundance. He says here, he says, don't judge anything until it's time because what you think is precious may not be precious when Jesus comes back. When the light of the gospel shined on it, what you're thinking is precious or what's important or what needs to be in judgment, it may not be that big a deal. You won't know till the time when he comes back. He says, he says, and it'll be revealed in the counsel of everybody's heart, and then each one's praise will come from God. Okay? So the key point here is judge nothing before it's time, and don't let any judgment come on you except what's of God. This is where conjecture starts to work, because you start judging things in your brain as right and wrong. Making supposition about things, if that's the right way to do it or not. Not based upon tr biblical truth. So you're judging yourself and saying, well, I'm not good enough, or God won't use me, or I can't do this, or why didn't God do this, or this must not be working, or that church must not be right, or that preacher didn't preach right, or this isn't right. You're bringing these judgments when the truth is it's all conjecture and supposition because you don't really know the truth. That's what's flying through your head and driving you crazy. So you got to change it. And you can. I just told you before, how are you going to do it? You're going to read out loud. It's going to change it. But you got to be willing to do it. I remember the very first time I prayed out loud. It felt weird. I don't ever pray, just, you know. I guarantee in high school, the most I ever prayed was when I was in high school and we were playing uh, in football and we had to play Fall City. And that year they were a state team and we had to go down there. And when I got down in my stance and looked across, the guy in front of me had a full beard. And I said, I prayed. I said, oh, Jesus. <laughs> I didn't know God, but I prayed. I said, that guy going to kill me. And he did all night long. When I got home that night, I had nothing but cleat marks all over me where he just literally ran over me all night long. I prayed more that night than I think I ever did as a teenager. But when I started praying out loud, just speaking out loud and talking to God out loud, it changed my life. I didn't realize it was changing neuron activity in my brain when I was doing it. I, I didn't know what was going on, but I was really changing my brain. Okay, here's the truth you need to get in your head as earworms. Number one, Psalms 139.7. And I want to go through these real quick because I may go back over this. Psalms 139.7. 
Where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. The very first truth you need to get in you is an earworm going over and over and over and over and over is you're never too far that God can't reach you. This person says when I was in heaven or when I was in hell, still God was there with me. You're never too far. You've never done too much. You've never been too evil. You've never done the wrong. Listen to me. There's always a chance to repent and turn to the Lord. Romans chapter six, verse nine says, but the righteousness of faith speaks this way. Don't say in your heart who shall ascend into heaven or that to bring Christ down from above or who will descend into the abyss and bring Christ up down from the dead or up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach that if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. So in other words, he's not too far if he's just the mere mention of his name. Hello? <coughs> so when the devil's convinced you because you've had 80% negative thoughts, 95% repetitive, and the devil's just saying to you all the time, God doesn't love you. He's not with you. He's not going to take care of you. He's not going to be there. God's not going to save you. God's not, no, no, no. You need to stop and say, hey, wait, Shh. hey. That's not what the word says. Word says right here, God's right there with me. The second one is 1 John 1, 8. Sin can be forgiven. I had a person come to me years ago and they, and, and, and they were wanting to counsel and, and they said, they said, listen, I think I'm, I think I'm lost. I think I've, I've committed the unpardonable sin. I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm scared. I, don't, I think I've committed the unpardonable sin. I can't be saved. I can't go to heaven. And I said, I oh, don't worry you haven't. They said, well, I didn't even tell you what I did. I said, don't make no difference. I said, if you're worried about it, you didn't commit it. Because the person who commits it doesn't want to have anything to do with God and wouldn't be over here in their office asking me if they had committed it. They said, really? I said, yeah. You still got chance. Now, whatever you did, repent. You can be saved. First John 1, 8, 9 says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth's not in us. But if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Listen to me. Don't let the devil tell you that you're too bad, that God's not going to forgive you. It's called repentance. Acts 17, 30 said, truly in the times of ignorance, God overlooked, but now he commands all men everywhere to repent. Repentance is a great thing. Repentance is a cleansing part. Repentance is what we're going to do here in just a minute when we have communion and we come down to the front, we're going to tell the Lord, Lord, I'm sorry. I blew it. I know I blew it. And if you say, oh, I didn't blow it. I did pretty well this week. Listen to me. You blew it somewhere because you're not, you're, not, you're not looking at the righteous judgment because if you think you can do it on your own without the blood of Jesus covering you, listen to me. I'm sorry. The nicest one of us in here is a stench in the nostrils of God's eyes compared to what Jesus is. So forget it. Quit trying to think by works. You're going to make everything right by works. I'm a pretty good person. No, you're a sinner saved by grace. All of us are. You think I stand a chance to get into heaven without the blood of Jesus? No way. I mean, they'll see me coming and shut the door. But we forget about the prodigal son. See, the prodigal son went out. Hear me now. The prodigal son went out. And he did, just, just did all kinds of bad things. And when the father saw him coming down the road, he jumped off the porch, ran down the road, grabbed him, hugged him, and kissed him. 
because the Father was looking for him. Why? Because that's who our God is. Our God is a God who sees you make mistakes, and when you repent and turn and come towards him, he's there. He's already there. He's on the way. But our job is to have a relationship under the blood of Jesus. And if you're looking to your righteousness to get you to heaven, folks, you ain't going to make it. I'm sorry to tell you, you ain't going to make it. You say, well, I'm not that bad. It doesn't take much bad. The third one is, is, is and don't be worried, I only have five. <clears throat> the third one is, is that you got to have this earworm going in all the time. Jesus' sacrifice, it's enough. Colossians 1, 21 and 22 says, But you were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he is reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy, blameless, and above reproach. The sacrifice that Jesus did on the cross of Calvary, he dying for you, his blood shedding down that cross and coming out of that tomb is enough to get you right. And you don't forget that. When the devil's lying to you and he's saying you can't make it, you say, wait a minute. The blood of Jesus is powerful, more powerful than this. The blood of Jesus is more powerful than people. The blood of Jesus is more powerful than judgment by anybody else could bring upon me. The blood of Jesus is more powerful than all the stupid things I've ever done in life combined into one big basket and put before the presence of God. The blood of Jesus is bigger than that. You know, when you, when, when those, when you have a, a, a nursery rhyme or something hung in your head going over and over again, the only way you can ever get that out is you have to replace it. So the minute you turn on another song or something like that, instantaneously it quits. Well, the devil is the same way. When he's hacking in your head and he's just going over and over again, when you turn and you say, no, the blood of Jesus is enough to cover that. The blood of Jesus is over that. That thing stops. But you got to do something. You can't sit there and listen to it. You have to say something. Philippians 1.6, this fourth one. It says, being confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Listen to me, God started a good work in you, he's going to finish it. He started it, he will finish it. He started it and he will finish it. That means he's going to get you from point A to point B. If you will let him. So what God started in you, he's going to finish. You say, oh, I've messed up. I've gone too far. I'm off track. I'll never get back. That doesn't, that, no, that's not truth. That is what you are conjuring up from the omen that you're looking at. That is not truth. The truth is Philippians 1, 6. What God started in me, he will get me there. I will finish my race at the end of time, right on time. You say, oh, I've messed up too much. I'll never finish. Look where, you got to understand. It's not like the, he set the clock and you're supposed to be running and everybody else finishing quicker than you. I've told you all about my, my most embarrassing day in the track and field event. But I'll tell you again. You know, the coach used to come by. Uh, those of us that were lifting or, or were playing football, we did was stay in the field house and lift weights all the time. But they, they were doing a JV meet, and uh, they didn't have enough people. And so the coach came by and cleaned all of us out of the field house and made us go to this track meet. And so none of us were trained, none of us run, none of us knew anything. You know, we didn't even have shoes. I didn't even know how to get in a set of starting blocks. And so uh, the coach is trying to put us all out there. So uh, he threw me for some reason in the 880, which why would you do that? You know, I mean, uh, uh, you know, dear Lord in heaven, I don't even run. I never ran, you know, never run more than 100 yards. And so he threw me in the 880. And so I'll never forget. I thought, well, this is horrible. I argued. I, I mean, I was like, 
I was like a child that wouldn't turn loose, hanging onto the bleachers as they're pulling me, dragging me out there, throwing me onto the track to make me run, you know? And I was like, this is going to be horrible. And so there was another old big, long-legged, big-footed kid in the, in, there with me. And he was a year older than I was. And I thought, well, Lord God, maybe I can beat him. And so, uh, so they, you know, the gun shot off and everybody started running. Well, man, you know, I did, you know, fairly okay the first lap. But that's the way it is. You know, running an 800, you know, or an 880 is an 880 then. And so... Oh my gosh, you talk about a monkey. There was a whole herd of them on my back when I come around that corner after just one lap. I didn't say, dear God, I can't make it. You know, I'm not going to make it. Just one lap. And so everybody just kept getting farther away and farther away and farther away. And so I looked behind me and that old long-legged, big-footed kid was behind me. I said, oh, he can't beat me, you know? And so, I mean, I was down to like fast stroll. <laughs> I mean, I was dying. And I heard that old big-footed kid coming. His old feet just going. <laughs> and I was like, dear God. And I look back. He's just got this burst of energy. So I'm like, oh, my God. And so I start trying to run faster. And he, <laughs> here he's coming, you know. <sighs> Hate to say, the stands applauded us. That's how bad it was. They stood up and applauded us. I got a standing ovation for coming in dead last. The long, big-footed kid beat me. We're like this at the end. To just not be last. And the stand stood up and applauded us, and I realized that was the most humiliating day of my life, to get applauded for being last. It was that pathetic. And nobody told me my time. <laughs> nobody told me my time. Nobody came up and said, oh, Robert, you ran that in a... No. It was so pathetic. No ribbons. Just, I'm really sorry, looks on people's faces. As I ran and snuck under the stands and got out of... The limelight, okay? Well, I just want you to know my race with Jesus is, in a sense, kind of like that. I'm going to finish it when I'm supposed to finish it. And if I've run with the pack or not run with the pack, it doesn't really make any difference because he's got my stopwatch, and my stopwatch is set to be me finishing the race when I finish the race. So you can't let that judgment come upon you that you got to do more. You got to go here. You got to go there. No. Philippians 1 and 6, a good work he's starting you. He will finish it. So you're going to arrive at the right time that you should be. The last one's Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. Listen to me. The, 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 the last point I'm trying to say here of truth you have to get into your head is you have to trust that God will lead you. I don't know what, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not conjuring omens for the future. I don't know what's going to happen. But I have a full faith and trust that I will be ready for whatever comes. You know why? Because I'm going to quit listening to the stupid earworm in my head that's telling me I'm not going to make it and start listening to the truth of God's word saying, you're going to be right where you need to be at the right time and have everything you need at that moment and be sufficient for that day. And you know, then I will hear him. 
I will walk right where I'm supposed to. I will be right on time and everything will be glorious. What do you want to do? Do you want to listen and conjure omens or you want to just walk in truth? Amen. Amen. So we're going to have communion now. For those of you out there watching, get your communion out. I'll be serving you first. But listen to me here as we as we have communion today. This message, I pray, hit you. I pray right now that when you come up here, you will be able to repent. Ask Jesus to get you straight and quit listening to 80 percent negative thoughts going through your head. If you can't get it straight, you need to call Dr. Brown and set up a freedom prayer. End of story. Because freedom prayer is what that's all about, helping you get rid of those thoughts that are going through you. But listen to me. Don't do it, folks. Don't, don't waste your days conjuring omens, living a life in conjecture and supposition. Live in truth because the truth will set you free. Amen. So if you would, let me have my pastoral team come up here and my prayer team so I can serve them and get them to serve y'all. If you're out there listening or watching or you're in here, listen to me, Jesus loves you. You heard it today. You heard the truth. But if you're out there and you've never made Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of your life, well, then listen to me today. Stop right where you're doing, right where you're at, and just say, Jesus, come into my life. I believe in you that you're the Son of God and that you died on the cross for me and your sacrifice is enough to cover my sin. And he will. Right there, he'll touch you. If you're in here and you're not sure that if you died today, you'd go to heaven, you're not sure that Jesus is the Lord and Savior of your life, well, when you come up to receive communion, that's when we have prayer team up here, people to pray with you. And just get one of them and let them pray with you. But the Scriptures tells us that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, that he took bread, that he blessed it, and he gave it to his disciples, and he said, now take and eat, for this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So, Lord, we thank you for this bread. We thank you for what it is. It's your broken body for us. And so, Lord, right now, we break it, and we thank you for it. So now take and eat. Afterwards, he took the cup and he said, this cup is a new covenant poured out in my blood for the forgiveness of sin. It's a new covenant, church. It's not the old covenant full of do's and don'ts. It's a new covenant full of faith and belief that Jesus paid the price for us so that we can be right with him. So, Lord, we thank you for this cup and all that it represents, Lord. We thank you for the new covenant in your blood. So now take and drink. <laughs> 